This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about colonialism, slavery, and genocide. That's the subject of the four-hour documentary, Exterminate All the Brutes, made by Raoul Peck and streaming now on HBO Max. For comment, we turn to Robin D.G. Kelly. He's Distinguished Professor of U.S. History at UCLA. He studies social movements, black intellectuals, music and visual culture, among other things. The author of many books, I think my favorite of all of his is Thelonious Monk, The Life and Times of an American Original. I also loved his podcast, Errol Garner Uncovered. He's written for the New York Times, the Boston Review, and The Nation. And he's at work now on a book on the historical background of the Black Spring protests of 2020. Robin Kelly, welcome back. Thank you, John. It's always great to be in conversation with you. Four hours on 400 years of colonialism, slavery, and genocide. This is not Ken Burns' history. I think it might be the most radical thing that's ever been on TV. Yes, I think that's probably the case, certainly on HBO. You know, the strength of the series is the way I think that um, Raoul Peck, in his very personal essay, connects the past and present. Uh, this, this idea that the catastrophe of the past is still with us uh, and that we have to resist that, to me, it's quite powerful. And it's essentially 500 years and four hours. You know, the first response is like, oh, that's not enough time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he feels the same way. He wanted yes. to do 15 hours, I've read. Exactly, exactly. Which is which is why this I see this as really an opening or beginning, an indictment in many ways on the way popular histories have been told. Uh, and so, you know, it's in that sense, it's it's very moving. It's also a kind of a personal thing. Peck himself talks a lot in his own voiceover telling us what he has learned, what he has concluded. And he puts himself in the story. He says, I am an immigrant from a shithole country. How did you like the voiceover, Peck putting himself in the middle of this? Um, I actually like his voice, meaning this is not a documentary. So there are no talking heads. Uh, there's occasional other voices that come in. He uses the... Um, uh, the device of the reenactment, but basically he's closed off other opinions to make it a personal story, which I think is a bold thing to do. He's also unique, and this comes out clearly in the film, uh, as someone who is quite cosmopolitan, whose family uh, is very diasporic, but also international, but who's also a filmmaker. Who's, who's, I think he made over 20 films at least, on topics that lay the foundation for this film. In other words, he prepared for this. Um, his film on Lumumba, his, his film on the genocide in, in Rwanda, his films about Haiti, his film, The Young Marks. You know, all these films in many ways are examinations, whether it's intimate or from a kind of helicopter perspective of capitalism, colonial violence, the uh, consequences of exploitation and the intimacy of these relationships across class and color and, and, and status. That's why throughout the film, he's incorporating his own films and clips from it 
not because of ego's sake, but I think because it, it drives a narrative in many ways. Yeah, one of the things I like best about it is the juxtaposition he makes with different kinds of materials. In episode three, he recounts the story no, well known to people like you and me of Winston Churchill as a racist colonialist. He quotes uh, Churchill's gleeful depiction of the British slaughter of thousands of Sudanese in 1898. And then he moves to a scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark, where Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones just casually guns down an Arab with a sword, which is supposed to be funny. I thought those kind of juxtapositions, bringing horrors of the past to our world of media, were terrific. I wonder what your favorite parts were. Oh, well, I, I, I also like the way he did that. In fact, I think it really matters, his appropriation of popular culture or his critique yeah. of popular culture, because this is how we learn history. For, for those of us in the Guild, there was nothing in the, in the four hours that kind of like, you know, surprised anyone. This is basic this is basic history for those of us who do history, you know, for a profession. For those of us who actually do history, but actually have a perspective on it that is critical. I could say, dare I say radical, but a critical perspective. Now, having said that, I think for me, I think the, the best and most disturbing parts have to do with, well, a couple things. One, in episode three, he talks about the way in which warfare becomes industrialized. You know, so you have the story of migration, story of, of trade, the story of how the, as the, the earth, as the world, I should say, not the earth, but as, as um, social relations on the planet gets smaller through settler colonialism, warfare becomes not just more brutal, but it also becomes more distant technologies allow for distance. And here he's actually drawing on uh, Sven Lindquist's um, other book, which I don't think is mentioned, A History of Bombing. And so he, it, the sort of episode culminates with the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, you know, what we know is that this kind of industrial killing is fundamental to understanding the Holocaust. It's fundamental to understanding the way in which um, settler colonialism doesn't disappear but it takes on uh, a, a completely new, um, expansive uh, power based on technology. And one of the things that's unique about Sudan in the, is the invention of the Maxim gun, the Maxim gun, yeah. um, or the Gatling gun. Either one, I think it's the Maxim, but it's basically, it's a machine gun. And industrialized killing is, is part of what Theodore Adorno says, you know, the history of humankind is not the march from barbarism to civilization, but the slingshot to the atom bomb, mm. you know, and that is we create better weapons to do uh, more damage. And but what's specific is, is that those that those weapons allow for a distance and juxtapose that with these reenactments with Josh Hartnett who can never, because he is like the everyman colonist, the everyman, you know, um, uh, military force for colonial order, he has to face the brutes face-to-face. -face. You know, there's, there's an intimacy there. There's no distance in the same way. 
So this is a documentary about genocide perpetrated by whites against people of color. It's also, as you have suggested, about the role of historians in justifying that genocide. Peck says, the story was told the wrong way. So this is about our predecessors in the history profession. Yes, it is. Historians, sociologists, anthropologists, all the social scientists are complicit uh, in in this story. You know, there's a scene where he's, you know, one of the characters is giving a lecture on race science, basically on on brains and on on difference in bodies. I mean, these scholars uh, were not just quacks, but they were the head of the American Anthropological Association. They were professors at Harvard University. They were considered the leading thinkers of the day. There's that, but then there's also those complicit in in war and warfare. Um, And again, a major theme throughout the series isn't just exploitation. In fact, it's not really about, uh, not so much about extraction of wealth. I mean, that's, that's a given. It's about violence and colonial violence. And so, in terms of the creation of American military might or Western military might as a whole, um, the greatest minds, you know, I put that in quote, to design these systems of, of mass destruction. They, they, the, the greatest planners, you know, urban planners, geographers, created the condition for this invasion and occupation and subjugation. Um, and so there's a lot of history there. Historians and social scientists over the last century or two who have created the ideology that has justified this, but there's also a counter history that has developed in the last few decades. Exactly. And I think that what uh, Peck is trying to do is draw on that counter history. Um, here's my concern, or maybe it's a critique of the film itself. So he okay. uses three texts Michel Rothschild's book Silencing the Past, which is basically about the erasure of the Haitian Revolution from the great bourgeois democratic revolutions of the 18th and uh, early 19th centuries. Uh, he uses Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz's book, uh, An Indigenous People's History of the United States. And he uses as really the key text, uh, Sven Lindquist's uh, book, The Swedish Historian, uh, Literary Scholar, uh, Exterminate All the Brutes, which is the line from Conrad's novel. And, you know, one of the, I mean, you could talk about all three, but let me just start with Sven's book. A central thesis of the four-part documentary is that clone, that fascism, the Holocaust, has can trace its origins to colonial violence. And this is one of the points, this is a central thesis of, of Exterminate All the Brutes of, of Lindquist's book. However, it's not an, a new idea. In fact, I would argue that the framing for the whole series is not that book, but it's actually M.A. Césaire's Discourse on Colonialism, which was published in 1950, which he says, you know, that basically what fascism was, was the application of colonial uh, methods of violence to the metropoles, to Europe. Uh, as he puts it, you know, colonial procedures that have been reserved for the Arabs of Algeria, the coolies of India, and the Blacks of Africa. And it's not just Césaire. Uh, W.B. Du Bois in The World in Africa basically says, like, there's no Nazi atrocity 
that, that hasn't already been practiced on the colonies, on, as he puts it, on colored folk in all parts of the world, all in the name of and for the defense of a superior race born to rule the world. Uh, Ralph Bunch says something similar, certainly Hannah Arendt. In other words, you know, we've inherited tradition where this was the common knowledge, the understanding when people were debating on the definition of genocide, um, when they were thinking about this, they were saying, look, you look at the, the history of settler colonialism in the U.S., in, throughout the Americas, the violence against indigenous peoples, the enslavement of others, all that, the, the violence against Herero in uh, Southwest Africa under the Germans, they've been practicing this. So it's not an aberration. And this goes back to Adorno again. It's not an aberration. And to me, I, I, I was a little bit disappointed that, that there were all these, especially Black scholars who had been thinking about this for a long time, who end up being kind of pushed out of, of the story. One other thing about historians, um, the historians he chose are people who are movement people for the most part, especially Roxanne. Yeah. I mean, I would love to have heard about uh, Roxanne's story as an activist in the American Indian movement, an uh, organizer in the International uh, Indian Treaty Council, an anti-war activist, someone who grew up in Oklahoma, which was said a colonial territory, but also Indian territory and also the territory of black towns. I mean, and what it meant for her as a revolutionary to do this work. And the same with uh, Michel Valtrio. So it's not an accident that someone like a Césaire or a Du Bois or, um, uh, or, or, or a Ralph Bunch or all these figures would come out of anti-fascist work to come to this conclusion, anti-colonial work to come to this conclusion. So the question we're left with, the big questions like, you know, why did the United Nations not declare colonialism a crime against humanity? Did, did we have to wait for this film to actually recognize it? You know, what, what was the history there? Um, and so there's so much of this that I think uh, ended up being pushed out because it was such a personal narrative. And one last thing I should say, uh, and that is the story of Rwanda was a little bit unsettling to me because of the way it was presented. So here's, you know, Raul Peck uh, did this amazing film about the genocide in Rwanda, which actually connects colonial violence, earlier colonial violence, to the genocide. But as it's presented in this film, I guess purposes of, of time or space, it's presented as, uh, as parallel, as like another story similar to the, uh, the Nazi Holocaust, as opposed to a product of, the, of that colonial violence. And those kinds of things, I think, might be lost on a general audience who will come away with an argument about equivalency. And that, to me, is something that um, I don't think he's trying to do, but it may come across that way. Any last thoughts about the relevance to today, this week, this year? Yes. The, the glaring absence in the film, especially given what's happening now uh, in Palestine and Gaza, is the absence of Palestine in the story. Uh, and I think that if you're going to talk about settler colonialism, bombing, violence, the absence is glaring. And I just found it tragic that the one, the one reference to Palestine was, uh, he mentioned an 18-year-old Palestinian girl who detonated herself in Tel Aviv and then told the story 
kind of without context. And then he says, yes, it's complicated and it's not so complicated. But that to me was the biggest failing of the film. The big question I have about this is, this is such strong stuff. I think it may be too strong for many viewers. And so my question is, who is this for? Uh, I think what he's trying to do is reach a general public to introduce the history of settler colonialism and colonialism as a whole to a new audience. And I think a lot of the young activists who are in the streets, a lot of the people who loved I'm Not Your Negro, that's the audience. But it's not gonna, it's not gonna be like a mass transformative thing given how how strong and how unyielding the message is. Exterminate All the Brutes, the four-part documentary, is streaming now on HBO Max. Robin Kelly, it's been great talking with you today. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.